Hey guys, it's Erin Darling Tralva. And before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to give you guys a heads up on a couple of things that are going on that you should know about because they're all really awesome. First of all, we are doing Hot Pizza Ass Live. I have partnered with the W Hotels and with Artificial People, and we are streaming the first episode of Hot Pizza Ass Live on Friday. That's tomorrow at 6 p.m. I'm going to have the links where you can watch it in the description below. It will be streaming on my Twitter and also on my Facebook. And I really hope that you guys join us. I have some amazing surprises all scheduled and lined up. And also, I'm just happy to be able to do this show live and to give you guys some entertainment while we're in quarantine. So please tune in tomorrow, set your calendars and join us. Also, I launched a course called How to Find Your Voice in Comedy, and I'm going to include the link to that below. If you're a podcast listener, I'm also going to have a discount code for you guys to take the course at 10% off if you're interested in spending this time learning about comedy writing, if you want to refine your stand-up voice, if you're a new comic or a mid-level comic and you just want to improve without stage time, this is a great way to do it. And last but not least, tomorrow, May 15th at 1 p.m., I will be giving a talk along with comedian Steve Byrne at the International Screenwriters Association digital platform. I'll have a link below where you can sign up for that. It's completely free. And we are having a talk about screenwriting, about comedy writing, about stand-up. So if you would like to join us there, feel free. It's also going to be a really, really great talk. Um, Steve Byrne's incredible. He did three seasons of Sullivan and Son on TBS. You guys have seen his stand-up comedy specials on Showtime, and he's also uh, writing and directing indie films now. So that's great. He's a really cool guy. So check us out there. All of that is going to be in the description below if you would like to join. And without further ado, let's get into this episode. Thanks, guys. Bye. Hey guys, it's Erin Darling Tralva and welcome back to Hot Pizza Ass. Did you guys watch the MMA fights this weekend? I did, and without the noise of the crowd and all the excitement of the music happening, I started to realize, wow, this is a completely different experience. I feel like I'm there. It's so much more intense and intimate. And it got me thinking, what is it actually like to be a UFC fighter? What is it like to be an athlete training at that level? What do you have to sacrifice to get into the ring? And what does that lifestyle actually entail? So today we have Miss Jessie Jess joining us to talk about what it's like to be a professional athlete. And she brings so much honesty to the table. I really respect her for that. And I think what resulted was a very inspiring conversation that you guys are going to love. Check it out. How do you approach training? <laughs> Like, do you do like 15 different yeah. things to even be able to have the skill set that you have to have to be able to be a super competitive MMA fighter? Yeah, like we obviously MMA is mixed martial arts. So that's all encompassing. And any martial art that you could ever possibly think of can be in there. But the beautiful thing about it is that you don't have to do all of them. You can literally just do the ones that you want to do, you know, and create your own style. So it's my full-time job. Training is my full-time job. Um, the fight at the end of it is like a Christmas bonus, you know? So I kind of, yeah, I try, I try to split my time up evenly between the different skill sets. So between kickboxing, boxing, Muay Thai, jiu-jitsu, wrestling, strength and conditioning, cardio. Like I try to, I try to keep a schedule that allows me to dedicate 
as equal time to each individual skill set as I can. Obviously, like everyone has strengths and has weaknesses. So some of the areas that maybe I'm not as proficient in, I'll give an extra hour to every week too. And then, yeah, that's it. And a lot of study, like a lot of film study, you know, really helps as well. So when it's your full-time job, I find for me when it was my hobby and I was still doing other jobs, like it was kind of hard to prioritize what needed to be done. But now it's my full-time job and it's what I do every day. Like my... My low day is still four and a half hours. My high day can be anywhere between eight and ten hours worth of training, you know. So, um, yeah, like I have to tick certain boxes. So I just make sure that I do. So wait, so if your days, if your light days are still four hours of training and your intense days, you said, are seven to eight hours yeah. of training? Eight to ten, depending. Wow. Like, <clears throat> Every every day is kind of broken up differently, so I'll do like maybe three hours in the morning, and then I'll have an hour, hour and a half off. Then I'll do another two, two and a half hours. Then I'll have an hour, hour and a half off. And then I'll do three at night, you know. And then my low day, like my 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 coach calls it my light day. It's not a light day. Like <laughs> I do technical pad work with him, and then I have to do full MMA sparring, which is fight simulation, which is never a light session. Like. That's always one of the hardest sessions. It's just the day that I don't have to train in the evening. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's my my low day because I get to have, like I get to knock off a little early. Yeah. How do you even like manage your energy in terms of that? Like, does it come down to, I'm sure it has a lot to do with what you're eating and like your sleep schedule, but how do you maintain the energy to get through like hours and hours of extreme physical like labor um, so I, I'm a firm believer in fueling for performance. You know, I don't really, I don't really care what I look like as long as my body can perform the way I need it to perform. You know, the fact that I look really fit is just an added bonus. Like I like it, but I don't really care. You know, it's just the cherry on top. So, um, when, you, when I fuel for performance, like, I make decisions based on what my workload is for that day. So if I have, if I know I have a really intense day or I know I have to go do heavy, heavy weight lifting, um, I eat a ton of carbs. I usually wake up at like three or four o'clock in the morning and eat breakfast. And then I go and have second breakfast at like seven thirty, eight o'clock. Because uh, I've always been a chronic under eater. Um, it's a, like, it's an issue that I've had. It's just not eating enough. I just forget or I get so busy, forget to schedule it in. But I had to really, teach myself that prioritizing nutrition is as important as prioritizing physical training. You know, it's the same as like prioritizing recovery. There's so many different aspects that go into it where if I, if I'm busting my ass training, but I'm not fueling the right way, like I'm only going to be training at 50, 60%. So then I've effectively just wasted those hours that I spent because usually I'll end up burnt out at the end of the day and I won't be able to train in the evening or the next day I'll wake up and I'll be exhausted and I won't be able to have good sessions, you know. So, yeah, fuel, fuel performance, fuel, fuel to get you through the next workout. So I always eat, then train, then I eat, then I train, then I eat, then I train. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I feel like I've had the opposite problem. I've had problems with being an <laughs> overeater. So it's really interesting to like to hear someone's perspective on that, you know, like training, like getting your body ready to do what is required of it like on a daily basis. Do you yeah. have days off? Like, do you have like one full recovery day ever or no? Usually Sundays. I try to take Sundays off 
because um, Saturdays, obviously when we're not in quarantine, Saturdays are pretty intense. I finish at two o'clock on a Saturday and I like, I look forward to Saturday afternoon so much because I'm like, yes, I finally get a break, you know. Um, Sundays, I try to do nothing, but right now I kind of got a little more free time to myself, so I'm actually trying to fill my time up a little bit more, so we'll be going hiking a lot or going to the park or I play with the dogs, things like that, but I kind of have to keep busy on my days off because I'm very bad with food. Like I am. If I'm sitting at home and I have nothing to do, I'm going to eat almost all day. It's almost like being able to train helps me keep my diet in check because I don't do, I have no, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like they say, uh, God, I can't remember the word. I have no like in between. There's no gray area. I'm either on or I'm off. So Everything in moderation. I'm not very good at moderation. Yeah. yeah. I'm nothing or I'm 100%. Yeah. I'm kind of the same way, <laughs> which can be really yeah. good and also really bad sometimes. Well, I think you have to be to be successful as long as you can channel it into the right areas, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, were you, was your family ever like, what was their experience when you were like, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a professional fighter. Like, were they worried about you? Were they like ever like concerned about your path? Like, where did they come into play? Uh, so my mom, my mom, I think she was quite disappointed to start with because like, we grew up, my mom's very hippie, very alternative. Like, we grew up living in a van out in the forest, you know, on, on different communities and stuff like that. Um, so she always, like, brought us up in an environment of solving your battles through words, you know, like, the pen is mightier than the sword, like, super anti-violence, you know. we weren't, I wasn't even allowed to listen to, like, I wasn't allowed to watch South Park when I was growing up, like I wasn't allowed to listen to a, to a lot of different bands because like it was so anti-violent. So, and I think, cause I've always been smart. Like I always did really well in school. She wanted me to go be a lawyer and like really make something of myself. Cause we, we grew up very poor. Like my family is very poor. Um, so I think she kind of had this, this grand dream of me being the one that pulled us out of that, you know, or, or that finally like did something big. Um, so then when I, told her I was going to fight it didn't make sense to her but it was when she saw when she watched me fight the first time and saw how hard I was working and saw the good that it was doing um for my life then she understood straight away and she'll she says that to everyone like she could see that it was it was what I had found I'd found the right thing for me because I'd had a problem with alcohol I'd had a problem with drugs like I was working in hospitality I was managing nightclubs and I was just partying all the time and then I found kickboxing and she saw it change my life and it did you know so now she loves it like she gets free tattoos people give her free stuff because she's my mom because she still lives in my hometown so she like is a little celebrity in her own right she's been in the newspaper and stuff like that she's been in my interviews for Monster Energy like she loves it um (laughs) the rest of my family (laughs) My granddad, I think my granddad is my biggest fan. He's been to almost all of my fights. Like, he came to South Korea. He came to Russia. He came to Singapore. Like, and he brings mum with him. So, if he wasn't going, mum wouldn't be able to go. So, he 100% is my biggest fan. Like, he follows me everywhere. He loves he loves meeting my fight friends. Like, he now is a huge UFC fan and texts me about it all the time. And he's like, oh, what do you think about this person? What do you think about this person? Because 
he's gotten to meet so many of them, you know, that now he's like, oh, these are my friends. Like, I know them. My granddaughter does that. But it's cool. My family's pretty supportive. I think the only one, my, uh, three of my brothers haven't ever come to watch me fight because for some reason my brothers are worried about me getting hurt, you know? Yeah. So they just, like, they support me, but they don't. They don't come to my fights. They don't watch me, you know? And then all my sisters are like, oh, yes, this is awesome. My sisters are little savages. Yeah. <laughs> are you the oldest or are you, like, youngest or somewhere in the middle? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I'm the oldest. Okay. I'm the oldest. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. So your little <laughs> brothers are protective of you? They're <laughs> Yeah, and then my sisters are like, yeah, fuck her up. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> yeah. I, okay, I love your blogs. I love the things that you're writing. Yeah, I, um, oh, you. I was reading your whole post about sobriety, and I thought that was so, so great and so honest. I know we kind of like talked about that a little bit briefly, um, what you were in the story of how you ended up doing this. So do you want to talk about that? Like, what has that journey been like for you as well? And like, how did you get to the point where you're like, I'm done. I'm just done with alcohol. Yeah. So, uh, I like, I didn't start drinking till my grandma passed away when I was 19. And that was kind of like, my grandma was my rock growing up. So then when that happened and I had a lot of guilt about it, cause I'd moved away right before she passed away and I only got to see her once, you know? So I think I always had a lot of guilt about not, giving her more time before she went. And um, that was kind of when I started drinking and then I, I battled with that for a long time. And then uh, working in nightclubs and because I, I ended up managing a nightclub, um, people used to give me drugs all the time. I had free alcohol all the time. Like people were literally giving me hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of drugs, you know, because I was in the party scene, I was in the club scene. Like it was just what we did. On our one night off, like, we'd all go get just fucked up on the same street that we all worked on, you know? So um, when I started kickboxing, it took, I think I started kickboxing when I was 21. And then I ended up going sober and quitting smoking cigarettes uh, on my 23rd birthday for the first time. I have never touched a cigarette again, but I did start drinking again. But I went sober for a year um, and really, like, I think that was when I really decided that I wanted to do this full time and figured out that I could, you know, that I didn't want to be in the hospitality industry anymore. I didn't want to be in the club scene. Like I, I was having too much of an issue with substances for me to be able to handle being in that uh, industry, in that environment. I could, I knew I wasn't going to be able to say no, you know, the more I was getting off and stuff, I, the, the lower my willpower was. Um, so then, yeah, so then <clears throat> I, I, I went completely sober for a year and then, drank occasionally after that like I was seeing a therapist about it he was like yeah like I think you could drink to celebrate and so then I would go oh okay I could drink to celebrate and then I was coming up with a reason to celebrate every single day like I could <laughs> like I should have been a lawyer because I could justify almost anything right to myself I'm so good at lying to myself where I'm like no like this is a really good reason this is why I can do that when it's completely just not the right thing to do um and then go away and then fast forward to moving out to the states um i would honestly like i was just really unhappy when i was in vegas like the situation i was in with my gym and with my coach and the people i knew like i moved out here with no one knowing not a single soul you know at 200 dollars to my name like it was really tough when i when i first moved to vegas and 
that kind of got to me a lot. And I relied on alcohol a lot to, to get through every night, you know? Um, and then there was like, I got signed to the UFC. Like all these amazing things were happening in my life. Like I love living in Vegas. I love the US. Like I, I want residency out here. I love this country, you know? I was making friends. I got signed to the UFC. Like I finally, I had my own house. Like there was so many just really amazing positive things happening in my life. I got blue. I got my dog, you know? Um, I had good friends. And then I just still like, I was just still really, really unhappy. Just really unhappy. Just really dissatisfied. A lot of that came uh, from like issues I had with my parents growing up. Issues I had with the people around me because I failed to set boundaries for myself and for my friendship. Um, and then it kind of all came to a head when I, I lost my first UFC fight. Well, it was my third UFC fight, but it was the first one that I'd lost. And, it, and I, I realized, like, I literally drank alcohol that entire camp. Like, before that, in preparation, I'd always give it away. wouldn't touch a drop for eight weeks until after I fought. Then that, that one camp, because I was so unhappy, I drank the whole time. And it affected me on fight night, and I lost, you know. Um, and then I think it was, like, a week or two after that, I remember sitting in my apartment by myself. I had just my puppy, and I had my cat, and I was just wasted on my own literally and it was like that every single night where I was just sitting in my apartment by myself with my pets getting hammered drunk and talking to my pets you know and I like I, I woke up the next day and I was supposed to go to church because I knew I had a problem and I was trying to talk to people about how to get away from it how to get away from alcohol you know and so like my solution was to go to church and, and see if that helped and it was my first day I was supposed to go to church and I woke up so hungover that I couldn't even get out of bed. Like, literally thought I was going to die. It was the worst hangover I'd ever experienced. And then that was, that was kind of the day that I was like, fuck, like I need to make, I need to make a really definitive decision about my life right now. Like, I was doing dumb stuff, you know, I was texting the wrong people. Like, I was eating junk food all the time. I was heavily overweight. I was, I was missing weight in my fights. I wasn't able, I was putting on so much cause I was drinking and eating pasta every single night that I wasn't able to, to lose the weight that I needed to be able to perform athletically, you know? So it was just having such a negative impact on my friendships, on my relationships, on my career that, um, yeah, I realized I needed to stop and it was really, really difficult. Like I'm not, I can't pretend that it was an easy decision to make or an easy process to go through. It was really, really fucking hard, you know? Um, but I had the right, I had the access to the right people. Like one of my friends was a minister and him and his family would help me all the time. If I just needed a text, like I would text him and say, Hey, I'm having a really hard day. And he would just send me like beautiful paragraphs, you know, pictures of his granddaughters, stuff like that that helped a lot. And then my strength coach at the USC performance center was who was actually taking me to church. So he was a really good kind of ear for me to talk to as well. Like I had, I had just a handful of people around me that, that really supported what I was trying to do. Hans Molenkamp was probably my biggest supporter. You know, he was, he'd seen me at my worst. Like we had a, we had a business trip in New York and where I like wrote myself off to the point of disappearing in an Uber. And my Uber took me like, around New York, the thing cost me $80 and I was literally a $15 ride from my hotel from where like I was drinking and I just put myself in such a bad situation because I was drinking that Hans and I had a huge fight about it. Like we didn't really talk for a little bit because um, he was really disappointed in the way I was representing myself. So then when I told him that I was going sober, he 
really, really supportive and helped me a lot. So um, there have definitely been days that I that are harder than others, but I just keep telling myself, like, my reason to not drink is greater than my reason to drink. Like, even recently, last week, I struggled a lot with it. I had three really, really bad days where I, like, was really upset, really unhappy, and I would sit at home and I would just be like, fuck, like, if I could just have an edible. I don't smoke weed or anything either. Like, I don't even take ibuprofen. I take nothing. Um, but I was like, if I could have an edible or, or, you know, just one glass of wine, I'd be able to shut off tonight. Like, I'd be able to sleep well and forget about everything, forget about how unhappy I am. And then like, I, I realized, like, oh, shit, like, this is the start of the same cycle that I've been working really hard to break. And then I had to sit down and analyze why I was feeling the way I was feeling. Like, why was I so upset? What was I upset about? How do I fix that problem that I'm upset about instead of just band-aiding it with alcohol? Um, and that, that's kind of the, the tool that's helped me get through sobriety. And I, the most, and I think I'm going to have to continue using that tool for the rest of my life. Like, I've spoken to a few people who don't think that addiction's real and maybe addiction to an actual substance isn't real, but addiction to the feeling that it brings is what's real, which is like why I won't touch weed or anything either because I don't even take, like I don't take painkillers when I'm injured or anything because I, I just know that that, is, that feeling of being able to shut off for a couple of hours is what always got me, you know, what always kind of brought me back in because I didn't want to deal with my issues. But now like I just try to analyze what my emotions are, why I'm feeling those emotions, and then remember that my reason to not drink is stronger than my reason to drink. I want to be a world champion, you know. I want to set a good example for other people that are struggling the way I've struggled or the way I am struggling. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to have to tell my friends and my family that I've relapsed, you know. I don't want to have to tell myself that. Even the other day, like, I thought about that, oh, I want to have one glass of wine, and I'm like, why? Like, one glass of wine will literally be gone in 30 seconds, and I've just thrown two years of hard work away you know like it's it's not it's not worth it for me it's just not worth it yeah no absolutely and I think that's the choice that you made it wasn't that long ago right this was maybe like if I'm remembering the blog correctly was it two years ago I think I'm a year and a half yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I'm just under two years it'll be two years in July congratulations sorry I ramble a lot <laughs> thank you no I mean that was great it was you're very um eloquent I feel like I ramble a lot <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I always worry about it. <laughs> Same here all the time. Um, but so how did you go to like this whole process of, of you, you know, being in Australia, coming to the States, like how were you able to get from point A to point B and along the way, like working at nightclubs and stuff like that? Like, how are you able to transition into being a full time athlete? Um, I wasn't able to until I moved to the U.S. In Australia, it, like, I still worked three jobs and tried to train around that, you know. Um, when I was, I was living in Sydney right before I moved out to Vegas. And when I was in Sydney, I literally would sleep in two one-hour blocks every day. And the rest of the time, I was either at work, on the train, or at the gym. Like, I used to start work at 8 o'clock in a supplement, 8 o'clock, supplement store, sorry, 8 o'clock in the morning till 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And then I would walk two blocks to the gym, and I would work there till 8 o'clock at night. And then I would get on the train for an hour and a half out to another gym where I trained at, and then I would train. So I'd usually start training around 10 o'clock at night. We'd train till close to midnight, and then I would catch the train back into the city, which was an hour, and then I would go to work at a nightclub, and then I would work there till like 5, 6 a.m., 
go home, sleep for an hour, you know, 5 a.m., go home, sleep for an hour, get up, get ready, go back to work. So I would sleep on the train a lot. I, mind you, I missed the train a lot, especially because this was when I was still drinking. So a lot of the time I would like be drinking, you know, on my way to the club or on my way from the club and I would usually miss my spot because I would fall asleep on the train and then have to like switch stations to another one and come back and get off. But um, yeah, in Australia, it just wasn't possible to, for me personally, it wasn't possible for me to train full-time and to treat this like a full-time job. It was too expensive, you know, like cost of living out there is so high. It, it's, I guess it's similar to being in California, you know, but um, when I moved to Vegas, Vegas is so cheap and I was lucky that the gym that I ended up in, in Vegas, my coach there and the owner kind of allowed me to find my own way of making income, you know, so because I, I legally cannot work in this country on the visa that I'm on, I can only make money through my sport. Um, so at the time, <clears throat> I, like I couldn't go and get a job or anything, so I just kind of built a little coffee stall inside the gym and I would sell coffees in the gym and that was how I was paying for my food, you know. I would walk to the gym for an hour and a half to anywhere between an hour and a half to three hours, depending on where I was living at the time, because um, I didn't want to spend money on public transport because that was, I came over with $200 in my pocket. Like I didn't have the money to spend on a bus or anything when that could have been putting food on my table. So yeah, I just, I, I think growing up the way I grew up I, has, has allowed me to make the sacrifices that I needed to make things like walking to and from the gym instead of catching the bus or like eating noodles, like things, things that you do when you're trying to save money. Um, and then all those things that I was able to do and able to give up allowed me to train full time. You know, like if I had have wanted to live in a nicer house closer to the gym, I would have had to make more money, which would have meant I, have, I would have to spend more time working for someone else to try to make money than I was able to spend on my craft. You know, so my priority has always been training, has always been my career. Every job that I've had, like I coach and stuff out here. Um, but every job that I've had since I've moved to the States has been around training. I've never sacrificed a single hour of training to go to work. Like, I don't believe in that. This is my career. You know, this is my, this is my lifestyle. This is what I want to do. Um, even if there's not a lot of money in it, like I don't make much off my actual career. I don't care. You know, like I didn't get into this game to, to, to be financially wealthy. Like I'm, I'm only 30, 32. If I fight for another five years, then I'm going to be 37. I've got plenty of time to have a career that's going to make me more money. You know? So, um, yeah, like it's been a process being able, getting from working full-time to training full-time. I don't think I'd be able to if I hadn't have given up the things that I have given up. You know, like I don't live in a house. I live in an RV right now because it's a lot cheaper to live in an RV in Northern California than it is to get a house. Uh, like yeah. a house, an apartment. Yeah. An apartment for me and the dogs would be at least 2800 a month, whereas I pay $800 a month to live in an RV that I own. Like, it doesn't mean, I, I, don't, I, don't need, I don't need material things and I don't need a big, nice house or I don't need any of that. Like, I'm happy if I've got a roof over my head and I can make food and my dogs are safe and comfortable. Like, that's all I need, you know, until the day that comes when I'm older and I don't want to live in a vehicle anymore, then I'll get a house. And, but then I'll be financially, like I'll have saved so much money that I can go live wherever I want, right? Yeah, that's, that's so badass that you say that because, you know, I think that what you're saying right now is going to be really, really inspiring to a lot of artists, you know, comedians, actors, musicians, like a lot of us here in LA that live 
life's like that as well, but we have to take jobs that we don't like or that we hate to, you know, have the apartment, to take the acting classes, to like have all of these certain things, you know, as part of our resume or whatever, live in the city where it's possible for us. And it's so cool to hear you say that, that you're like, you're just finding ways to basically make your cost of living really, really low so that you don't have to do that, which is so smart. I get lost at all the time. I actually, I just bought a van. I'm in the process of converting a van into being full-time living. So then I won't even have to pay for the RV spot anymore because I'm trying to just eliminate my, my monthly expenses as much as I can, you know, but like I, I figured I'm, I'm young. I grew up like that. So it's not even a far-fetched thing for me. Like I don't, I don't need a TV. Like I don't, I've got my computer. I've got my phone. Like I've got the things I need to do my job and I can just go live at the gym and I'm happy. Like there will be a day in my future when I'm, I'm financially well off because of the decisions I made right now. And then I can have a nice house. Also, in a weird way, well, not in a weird way, in an obvious way, it just gives you such an advantage because you're not even like splitting your brain energy between what yeah. you really want to be doing and some other thing to pay the bills. It's like, no, you're yeah. going all in. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why I moved to this country. Like, I'm here for a reason. You know, if I wanted to just work, I would have stayed home. Like, yeah. I came here to train, I came here to fight, and I came here to be the best that I can. So, why not dedicate all the time that I have towards being that person? Yeah, you're going to be the world champion. That's the plan. <laughs> what is it like <laughs> in the UFC? Like, what is it like with the other, like, female fighters? Do you guys have, like, camaraderie? Do you feel that you get along with, like, the guys better? Like, what is that situation like? Um, it depends. I think it's the same as any industry, though. Like, there's always going to be rivalries. There's always going to be friendships. There's always going to be people that you like more than others. Um, I... I don't have an issue with anyone really ever anyway. You know what I mean? Even girls that I'm going to compete against, like I always see it that if they weren't there for me to compete against, I wouldn't have the opportunity to do what I love to do, you know? So I could never be mad at someone or hate someone for doing the same job that I'm trying to do. Like we're all, we're all striving for the same goal, right? Like one of us always has to lose. One of us has to win. But if none of us are there, then none of us get to reach that goal. So yeah, I never have an issue with anyone, but I do, I do see on media that a lot of fighters start fights with each other all the time. And I don't know if it, I feel like a lot of it is disingenuine. Um, I feel like a lot of it is made up to try to gain attention, but that's not really my style. I don't like it. I'm not really friends with those people. Like I'm friendly with everyone, but I'm not really friends with people who behave that way because I don't agree with it. Um, but I don't know. I think it's like any other industry. Like I have to get along with the guys more because our sport is 95% men. So most of my training partners are men. All of my coaches are men. Like, I'm lucky that at my gym here in Northern California, we have the largest female fight team. So this is the first time in my entire career that I've ever trained with women. Um, and the women are a lot better than me, a lot more experienced than me, have been around a lot longer, have had way more fights. So I'm like, I'm a little fish out here, which is really hard sometimes, but it's a really nice feeling, you know? Um, but yeah, like... 
being in the UFC is fucking rad. I don't have a problem with any part of it or anyone in it, you know, but I generally don't have a problem with much anyway because I don't care. Like, if it doesn't directly affect me, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah. I always see like when people during the weigh-ins and stuff get confrontational and always freaks me out. <laughs> I'm like, is this fake or is this like, or is it just like getting in someone's head? Like how much of what you do involves like getting in someone's head or getting in your own head? Well, always getting in your own head. Like this sport is mostly mental. Like I've, I've 100% lost fights because I've been too much in here like I've already beaten myself up before I ever got into the cage you know um in terms of like getting into other people's heads I guess it happens like I see people trying to do that all the time I've never had anyone well I've had girls try to do it to me but it's never really worked because again I don't really care like I'm there to do my job um I think it's really stupid to me it seems a little insecure you know like but but then like maybe it's maybe it's trying to give yourself an advantage as well I don't know I feel like if you believe in your product like you don't need to speak about it that much if that makes sense yeah yeah but yeah the whole getting in each other's face I think especially I feel like for women because I've seen this with girls so much like women that like this is not a natural sport for women to be in you know what I mean like physiologically, emotionally, hormonally, like women are supposed to be mothers. Women are supposed to be maternal, you know. We're supposed to love, be caregivers. Um, We're not physiologically meant to be violent. Like it's just we don't have testosterone. Like we're not meant to be aggressive like that. So I feel like a lot of women kind of build up this hatred as a way of forcing themselves to be to be in the moment, to be in that fight, you know? So, and I can understand that because I've, I've met a lot of girls, really, really sweet, sweet girls. And then for some reason, whenever they get a, in a fight, like they have to hate their opponent. They have to hate the person that they're about to get in there with. And I think it's just a way of like them getting over that emotional hurdle, that, that nervousness and kind of to be, to be in a, in a, I guess in an arena that, physiologically isn't natural for us. Okay, so you recently went up a weight class. Can you tell me about what that experience was like and what went into the decision-making factor of that and what you put your body through every time you fight? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Honestly, going up a weight class, so the, the weight class that I'm in right now is what I always used to fight at before I got signed to the UFC. When I got signed to the UFC, I signed on at 10 pounds lighter so for people who listen that don't understand weight classes like the day before the fight we have to be a certain weight so my weight division right now is 135 pounds so the day before I fight I have to get on a set of scales and weigh either under 135 or anywhere between 135 and 136 is the limit right so we usually for large weight cuts we usually diet uh, extreme dieting and dehydration. Okay, so that's, that's technical info. So I always fought at 135 pounds my entire career. Then I went to Las Vegas and my coach in Vegas told me that I was too small, too short for 135 pounds. Because I'm, I'm five foot four and a bit, you know, um, size 
physical size makes a big, can make a big difference when you fight, you know. Um, and so he had me convinced, convinced that I, I should be at 125 pounds. And so then I was like, okay, let's go to 125 pounds. And I literally spent a year, like the most fucking, I've had miserable years. The year that I was cutting to 125 pounds constantly was easily one of the worst years of my life. It was fucking terrible. I was, I had, I had to run miles every single morning, um, usually fasted. I ate no carbs. I had no cheap meals. I literally lived off like green beans, broccoli, and chicken. That was pretty much it for 12 months straight. I was miserable, absolutely miserable. I was a terrible person. I was always so unhappy. I was snappy. I was intolerant. You know, I was kind of mean, but because I was winning in that weight division and I had like this person that I really cared about constantly telling me like, yes, this is the right thing for you. No matter what health issues I was giving myself and no matter how I was feeling, he was like, yes, you're doing the right thing. You're doing the right thing. So obviously someone that I look up to and care about, I'm like, okay, like I, I want to do what you say and I want to make you happy. I'm going to keep doing this. And then man, after the second time, after the second time I made 125 pounds, <clears throat> okay, so wait, before I made it the second time, I started having like, I thought I was having anxiety attacks in training, like full on, couldn't breathe, had to stop training attack. It was really bad. Um, and no one could figure out what was wrong. So we put it down to, oh, you're just having anxiety attacks. Like you got to sort your shit out mentally, right? So <clears throat> leading up to my second fight in the UFC, I'm having anxiety attacks the entire time. I'm struggling to lose weight. Like I was running and running and running and running and running and my body was just rebelling. Like I was, I was sitting at 150 pounds constantly. Like my body would not go any lower. No matter what I ate, I was doing a uh, 24-hour fast once a week. Like I was trying everything I could to get, to get my weight down so that I would have a, a normal weight cut, you know? Um, I get to St. Louis for that fight. We cut for almost 16 hours straight. So now when I say I cut for 16 hours straight, that's in a hot bath for almost 16 hours straight. In a sauna for almost 16 hours straight. That's already on no water. I haven't had food in a day and a half. I haven't had water in a day and a half. Um, I literally, like, I thought I was going to die. I remember we stole a portable sauna out of the UFC workout room and put it in my room, and I was sitting in this like little hutch with just my head out and I was like crying. It's fucking five thirty in the morning and we'd been doing it. We'd been going all night and I'm crying and there's just nothing. No tears, nothing, nothing's coming out of me. Um and get to weigh in, I weigh in at hundred and twenty five and a half pounds. So I made weight, right? If you see my photos from that weight, like I'm a skeleton. Like I have naturally chubby cheeks. My face was so sunken in. My eyes were sunken into my head. Like, I looked like a completely different person. It was disgusting. And I was so unhealthy. Um, and then that, so I, I made weight, rehydrated, and then fight day. So we, we usually have 36 hours between making weight and having to fight. So we have a day and a half to rehydrate, eat food, like, try to get your, your body coming back to normal, you know. That 36 hours, um, I didn't pee once. I didn't go to the bathroom once, and I was, like, chugging water. I was eating food, nothing. I guess a fight night, and I weighed, because they weigh you before you fight. 
I think I weighed 153 pounds, which was heavier than I'd been through my whole preparation. Like my body just held on to everything. All my photos from the fight night, like my face is puffy, swollen. Even before the fight, I hadn't even been hit. It was just like puffy and swollen. I had this gut. I was bloated. Like I was so sick. Um, I got through that fight one, thank God. And then I get back to Vegas and I go to the UFC Performance Institute, which has a bunch of nutritionists, doctors, um, physiotherapists, everything. And they knew the struggles I'd been having. And I get back and I was so sick. I, I couldn't even get out of bed for a few days. And when I finally could move, I went in there and I told them how I was feeling and I told them what had happened with the weight cut and everything. And they were like, you need to go get blood tests done. So I went and got blood tests done. And then when they came back, the test said that I was pre-diabetic. My thyroid was shut down. And I was giving myself an autoimmune disease. And so, like, all, all just from dieting, from excessive dieting um, and the, the, the heavy water, water weight cut, you know. So then I was put on 10 weeks of bed rest. I wasn't I, – I fucked up because I was drinking a lot. I was so depressed at being sick and not being able to go to training that I drank a lot through that 10 weeks off. And I shouldn't have. Like, I think I would have recovered a lot quicker um, if I hadn't. But – my instructions were no training, like nothing to elevate my heart rate. Um, I had to be really careful. I wasn't even allowed to lift weights. Like I wasn't allowed to do anything. I just sat in my apartment for 10 weeks straight, just crying and drinking until they did more blood tests and like everything started to come back to normal. So then, <clears throat> so then I go through a very similar thing for my next fight. And then after my next fight, I was like, fuck, like, I don't know how many more times I can do this. You know, I don't know how much longer I can diet this way. Because literally, even, like, straight after a fight, I wasn't allowed to have any time off. Like, I had to go back to training. I had to go back to dieting. Like, it was so fucking hard. It was so miserable. And then um, I was booked for a fight in December of 2018. And right before that fight, I left my gym in Vegas and I came up to this one in Northern California. And the very first day that I worked that I worked with my coach up here, he was like, "You should not be going to 125. Like you should be at the division above that. You, you, you." And I hadn't even told him about what the blood test and everything had said, you know. But he was like, "You're taking away your power. Like you have so much muscle. You're taking away all your athletic ability because you're cutting too much weight. And you're not able to perform." He's like, "You shouldn't be. You're going to do long term damage to your body if you keep trying to do this." And I was like whatever like I had this bug in my head about oh I'm so small I'm so small um so I ignored him and he supported whatever decision I made and so I kept training for my fight in December and I get to December and I get out to Milwaukee for my fight and we start cutting weight and I pass out get taken to hospital get put on an IV fight gets called off this is the day before weigh-in. it's the two days before I was supposed to fight and that to me was like a defining moment you know, like that, that was, that was, that was the day that I was like, fuck, like my coach is right. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be doing this to myself. Like I shouldn't be putting this pressure on my body, you know, like I don't ever want to have kids or anything, but I knew like the hormonal damage I was doing to my body as well. I was pretty much eliminating my chances of being able to have kids in the future if I ever wanted to. Um, and then honestly, like the second, literally the instant that I was like, yep, I want to fight heavier, and I started eating more, I was just night and day a different person. So much happier, just so much happier. Like, now 
I have the energy to trade all the time. Whereas back then, like, I could trade for maybe three hours of the day because I was exhausted. My body was so depleted that I just couldn't get through it, you know. <clears throat> now I can trade all day because I eat burgers and I eat bagels with Nutella for breakfast and I eat cereal at 4 o'clock in the morning. Like, I don't watch what I eat anymore. You know, if I, if I eat pizza one night, I'll just do a little bit extra the next day. That's it. Like, oh, I, I believe in earning your calories. Like, I'll work for whatever it is that I eat. But, like, my whole life got so much better. And then my body did this really weird thing where it decided that it really likes how much food I'm eating. And now I have abs all the time, which I've never had abs in literally my entire life. Like, I started eating pizza, burgers, fucking so much shitty food every day when I started going to, when I decided to, to go up a weight division and it's like my body just went yup you're 100% making the right decision and I started losing weight I was walking around 143 pounds when I had never been able to get below 150 when I was actively trying to lose weight like it didn't make sense but it was like my whole body just reset my hormones reset mentally I was better emotionally I was better not drinking played a huge part in it as well because Obviously, like alcohol adds a lot of calories, affects your digestive system, slows your whole endocrine system, uh, whatever it is, system down. Um, so, like that was a huge part of it. But man, like oh, yeah, I'll, I'll never, I'll never ever diet like that ever again, ever again. Not for my entire life. Even when I retire, like when I retire, my plan is just to lift heavy weights and eat as much food as I possibly can. Like. <laughs> I, I won't ever diet. I'm not an advocate for dieting. I believe in in eating for performance. You know, I don't believe in in cutting weight or trying to. I just I believe in being healthy. I just try to be healthy. Now I don't eat burgers as much because I am trying to make healthier decisions for my life. As opposed, I think I think I'd be dieting for so long that I was like, oh my god, give me everything, you know. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Like I said, I don't. Don't diet like that. <laughs> yeah, don't diet like that. I'm so on that train too. I think that almost anything can be healthy. You just have to find the way to make it healthy, you know? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, except for heroin. Yeah, I think not that. Heroin. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I completely agree. Like like I said, if I if I eat a pizza one night, like I honestly, if I know that I have a really heavy weightlifting session one morning, I'll usually eat a pizza the night before. Like I'll like, I'm, I'm fueling to get ready. I understand that my body needs the energy for me to burn the energy. Like, you can't burn, you can't burn something out of nothing. Like, there has to be something there to start with. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, people always ask me that, too. They're like, you do a podcast about pizza. You're always talking about pizza. And I'm like, yeah, I love pizza, and I eat pizza yeah. a lot, I'm, but I'm plant-based. I So I'm eating, like, tons and tons Are of Are you veggies. really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then I have to force myself to find ways to get good protein, you know. So a yeah. lot of it is just like having to watch what I eat because I know I'm like kind of creating a potential deficiency. So it's just eating around that. Yeah. And because I want to feel good and I want to have energy and same thing. Like I've I've had eating disorders. Um, not that I'm saying that you did, but um, when I was being really, really restrictive with my diet, I noticed a lot of the same things that you were talking about too, where I was very irritable. I was very, it also affected my sleep. It also affected my hormones, my thyroid too. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. A lot of crazy stuff and my metabolism, I think long-term was damaged from some of the stuff that I was doing, but that's amazing that you went up a weight class and your body just like rewarded you like 
Here you go. Yeah. Some abs. I, like. <laughs> I never thought it would happen. <laughs> I never thought it would happen. But it's been, I, I think part of it is like, like women naturally hit their hormonal peak in, in early to mid-30s anyway. So I think I made the decision at, at the exact right time. You know, like I turned 32, started eating more, and my body was like, yeah, like I love being in my 30s. I'm so glad I'm not in my 20s anymore. Like, <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. So <laughs> That's so rad. I'm like so happy for you. And, and I love the fact that you made that decision, you know, for yourself, like you were intuitively kind of had to get out of listening to what your old coach was saying to you, you know, and had to just realize like, this is just not right for me. You know, did that take a lot to make that decision? Because I'm sure when you have someone telling you for, you know, months, years that you need to be a certain thing and then you're feeling like, but it's not working for me. Like, how did you get like the strength to just be like, nope, done. I'm not doing that. Um, it was very similar to going sober, honestly. Yeah. Like, like they were all based on insecurities. So I had my insecurities about my size. I have really short arms as well. Um, I have short arms. I'm short. I'm like just short and heavy, right? Um, and... I had a lot of insecurities about it. I would say, you know, honestly, like before now I had insecurities about the way I looked as well. So I was like, oh, if I'm at 125, I'm going to be skinnier. You know, like I'm going to look better, which means I'm going to get more opportunities as an attractive female because I'll look better. Um, but it really like, it's, it's just understanding, allowing myself to understand the work that I put into this, you know, that <clears throat> one, before before I was with my old coach and he told me I needed to be wider, I was winning and finishing fights in this weight division that I'm in now against girls that are a lot better than the girls. Some of the girls that I'm fighting now, like like I beat I've I've beaten girls who fight in the next division above me again. You know, so I've fought girls that are a lot bigger than me. But for some reason, I just had this insecurity in my head. I had this idea in my head, like, you're too little, you're too little, you're too little. And then I was like, no, oh, fuck that. Like, if I'm going to be too little, then I'm going to be too fast. I'm going to be too athletic. I'm going to be too technical. You know, like, I tried to switch it around to something positive. Like, yeah, if I'm not the biggest, it means I'm going to be a lot quicker. You know, if I can put the power, I know I have a lot of power. Like, if I can put my power into that speed and be too quick and too short for them to get to, then that's going to work to my advantage. So... I think it was just understanding that one of the other beautiful things about this sport is that there is something for every body type as well, you know? If you're tall and skinny, you're going to have advantages in certain areas. If you're short and thick like I am, you're going to have advantages in in certain areas. So it was just acknowledging what my strengths are and what my size and what my physical attributes actually allow me to be really, really great at and then leading into that, you know? Like, it doesn't matter. If people... If if I fight someone who's bigger than me and I get manhandled, that'll be the day that I question the decision I make, you know? Yeah. But it's never happened. Like, I fought, I fought in Russia. Actually, I was really sick in Russia as well. But when I fought in Russia, it was my first fight back at this higher weight division. And um, I had food poisoning all week in Moscow. So I was really, really light. Like I didn't have to cut any weight. I was so malnourished and, and dehydrated that I was already on weight. And then <clears throat> when I, after I weighed in, I, I, I was sick again that night. So the night before the fight, I was throwing up, um, wasn't really able to hold any food down. 
fight day, I was able to drink some water and have have a little bit of food. But when I got to fight night, like I'd only put on two pounds, you know, so I was still really dehydrated. I was still really malnourished. Um, and I felt fucking terrible. I felt so sick. And I went in that fight and there was not one single second of that fight that I was, that I felt like I was too small, you know, like that I felt like I was the little guy. Not one second. And then that to me, knowing how, how shitty I felt, and how little I actually was, like, that to me was, was probably one of the strongest indicators that I made the right decision. Because I was like, hey, even on my worst day, everything that I had fears about didn't happen. None of that happened. So imagine on my best day, you know, it's going to be non-existent, right? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> good. I love athletes. I love you guys. You guys, I, I don't know. Like, you... <laughs> It, I just respect so much what you do, you know, and I think like the discipline and the commitment it takes, like the sacrifices like you've made, like being away from your family, being in a different country, like training for hours and hours a day and to like have this, you know, the, the optimism and the attitude that you have is like, oh, my God, she is a freaking badass. <laughs> oh, I just I just get to do what I love every single day. That's it. I don't have to work for anybody else like I do what I want to do and I make my decisions. I don't make sacrifices. I make decisions to get to where I want to be, you know? So it's really hard to be upset with your life when you're literally making every single choice in your life, you know? Like that, that can be confronting sometimes, you know? Like, like <clears throat> I went through a breakup recently and that was really, that was difficult, but it was an educated decision in order for me to be able to focus on my career more. And every day that I woke up and it was difficult, I told myself that, like, I chose this, you know? I chose this. I made this decision and this is why. And that's when you get to live every day completely accountable for what happens, like, that's a really fucking powerful thing. And a lot of people don't get to do that. So I could never, I may have bad hours, you know? I may wake up shitty because I slept shitty, but... There's always going to be something that happens throughout my day that I 100% chose to do, and I'm going to love doing it. But I never really have bad days. Yes. This is my new favorite episode. <laughs> <laughs> Even better than the first time. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm actually kind of grateful that we got to do this a second time. Um, for the yeah. listeners out there, we tried to record it one other time, and there were some issues that we had technically, and no one could fix them. So we had to do this a second time, and I'm actually very, very glad that we did. And I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I think this is going to be really inspiring and and, and good for a lot of people right now, especially because in quarantine, I think we're all starting to lose our mind. Oh, yeah. What, how, how are yeah. you dealing with quarantine, by the way? And how is that affecting your life with the gym and everything like that? Well, the gym closed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. But before we got shut down completely, I like I went on social distancing a little while before because I'm asthmatic. Oh, that's what I didn't say before. So when I thought I was having anxiety attacks before that fight, remember? I actually have asthma now. Like, I got asthma at 31 years old. Um, so that was what it was. It was asthma. So I'm asthmatic. Uh, and then plus the, the autoimmune deficiency, which I don't think is an issue anymore. I just get sick for a little bit longer than other people. Like, other people get a cold for a day and I'll get it for five, you know? Um, so I was already kind of on social distancing when this all started. I just stopped doing full contact. I would still go work on the bag and work with my coach, but I wouldn't do jiu-jitsu. I wouldn't touch anyone. Um, 
So I was still able to train a lot, lift weights a lot, run, do all that sort of stuff. And then we got shut down completely. Uh, and now, like, I'm not social distancing with some of my training partners anymore because we kind of, the select group that I have, which is like only three or four people, um, we all know where, where we've all been. You know what I mean? Like, we know what each other is doing. We may, we're making decisions to train with each other and to do full contact stuff with each other knowing, understanding that we can't do anything that's going to put our training partners at risk, you know, because we're all, we're all fighters, we're all working for the same goal, and that's to be able to fight again when this is over. So, um, yeah, so now I'm very lucky that I'm able to train with my little group of friends. But aside from that, <clears throat> it's honestly been really fucking nice. It's been so nice. I've never taken a break. I've been working full-time since I was 16 years old. I have never not worked. Like, I have never just had the ability to wake up in the morning feeling healthy. Because obviously when I was sick after that fight, I had to stay home. But I was fucking sick. Now, like, I wake up in the morning at 7 a.m. for second breakfast. And I go, oh, I don't have anywhere to be. So I sit on my soup and I give the dogs bones and I sit out in the sun with them and I drink my coffee and I have breakfast and... It's fucking really nice. Yeah. Like, I feel rejuvenated. I feel so excited about everything that's going to happen after this, you know, because to be honest, before this, I was a little burnt out, like coming off losing my last fight um, and just then being in quarantine and the stress of all that and not knowing what the future was going to hold. Like, it was, it was stressful and I was a little bogged down. And then, yeah, having a forced break, it's been a... Oh, it's been a blessing in disguise. Like my injuries feel good, my body feels good. You know, I'm actually I'm writing again. Like I built my website, which I've been wanting to do for so long, and I finally did that and started writing. And I got a camera, and I'm taking photos and learning photography and just trying to learn new skills now. Yeah, it's fuck. It's been great. Good, good. I love that. I'm I'm so excited. Sorry, I cussed a lot. I'm no. really sorry. I realize <laughs> I should. Don't apologize. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's good. I love it. And I love that you have more time to like to explore fun interests and also to write. I'm really, really loving your blog. I just think that you're so yeah, you're so honest. And it's just like a cool perspective to have like pulling the curtain back a little bit, you know, with your life and what it's like to be you and the personal struggles that you've had. So I think that's badass. Where can people uh, check out your blog? Uh, it is jessysays.com, J-E-S-S-Y-S-A-Y-S.com. Awesome. And where are all the other places that people can follow you and support you? <laughs> Miss Jesse Jess on everything. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, everything is the same. Miss Jesse Jess. Perfect. You guys follow her. She's awesome. And thank you so much, Jesse, for doing this podcast again. And <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yes, and stay thank safe. Thank you for working with me. No, you're the best. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Hot Pizza Ass. I got so much out of this episode. I so deeply enjoyed it and I hope that you guys got something out of it as well. I'd like to thank Miss Jessie Jess for being patient and coming on the show. We had to record it twice, so that is pretty extra. <laughs> That's uh, more than most guests are able to do. So thank you so much for the show and also you guys, thank you for tuning in. If you'd like to support us on Patreon, check us out, patreon.com slash hotpizza to ask please review this podcast if you liked it share it with someone else that's how we grow and find new ears you guys have a great day thank you so much stay safe out there